This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. So here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ujoma Umbinyo Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Ayan every Monday at 2.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. You're listening to Diaspora Blues, a show presented on the sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'm Ayan Sharwa. Happy May Day to the workers of the world, both the employed and those in unpaid care work. As my uber smart guest eloquently put it, work means different things for different people. So why is this date significant? Well, before stonemasons in Melbourne and Sydney won the eight-hour work week, most workers would work long, grueling hours. I should note, this still happens in regulated jobs, but before May Day, it happened across the board in all jobs. The eight-hour work week was enjoyed by certain professions and excluded women and children and other minority groups. It wasn't until 1916 that the Eight Hours Act was passed in Victoria and New South Wales. Fast forward 100 years plus and we're still fighting for better working hours and conditions. When we come back, my guest Hope Muthambu joins us to discuss what life-work balance looks like for a black South African community nurse.
Angelique Kidjo with Wee oui Wee, oui, a song condemning the practice of child labour. Kidjo is a Benin singer and a five-time Grammy winner whose humanitarian work sheds light on gender inequality and child exploitation. The Uruk Justice Commission is the first formal truth-telling inquiry into injustice experienced by First Peoples in Victoria. From Thursday, April 27 to Friday, May 12, Uruk is holding public hearings to question Victorian government ministers, senior bureaucrats and Chief Commissioner of Victoria Police about injustice against First Peoples in the child protection and criminal justice systems. You can watch the hearings online or make a submission at yurukjusticecommission.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Up now is my interview with Hope Mthumbu, a community nurse, radio broadcaster and a writer whose work has appeared in the anthology Growing Up African in Australia and Wild Tongue Volume 1, just to name a few. In the first half of the interview, Hope speaks to me about her work, life after having her gorgeous daughter, Sana, and the benefits of working for a community-controlled organisation. I spoke to Hope at her house and we were thankfully able to sneak in a conversation while her little one lounged nearby. On the show today, I have a friend, uh, one of my good friends, Hope, and Hope was also one of the presenters of Tuesday Breakfast. She is a community nurse, so I'm excited to have her, not just as a friend, but as someone who's very knowledgeable, someone who's very thoughtful and has a lot of amazing ideas to share. With that, welcome to Diaspora Blues, Hope. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ayan. And I've got a plus one here. <laughs> so Hope has her gorgeous daughter, Sana, with us. As I mentioned, you are a community nurse. What does a community nurse do? 
Well, um, yeah, community nursing is very broad, um, but I work um, in a clinic uh, for an Aboriginal community-controlled health organisation um, called Wadharong Aboriginal Health Service. Um, and my role is almost just like working in a GP clinic, so supporting GPs um, and supporting community, um, you know, taking blood, um, doing various, you know, clinical tasks, um, ECGs, that sort of thing, but also... Other things, you know, health promotion, you know, educating people around diabetes, making sure that they understand their health needs, maybe supporting people when they've been discharged from hospital and they need maybe ongoing care in the community. So changing the bandages if they need that or any sort of um, post-discharge care or preventing people from ending up in the hospital, you know, um, if it's things to do with their medication management or maybe if they have like some sort of acute episode. But um we can sort of get it under control to prevent them from ending up in hospital. So lots of different things. And of course, immunizations, immunizations of different age groups, including um, babies and kids and the elderly. So it's a wide range of um, interesting things uh, for community nursing. So prior to having Sana, what did your day look like? Oh, my day could... My day was very sometimes busy, sometimes quiet, but you never use the Q word when you're on shift or else it will end up like, you know, even busier. But it was always different things, you know, people either walking in or people who had appointments. Um, and and so, again, that mix of like clinical tasks. So actually, you know, um, either, you know, taking blood, giving injections, giving medications all um, doing the advocacy, you know, answering phone calls, answering questions, you know, um, educating either community members or educating actual services as well because other services may not um, have that sensitivity as well to working with people. Um, so, you know, it looked like a whole bunch of different things and that's why I really love um, community health because it's, it's, it's a really good mix of like clinical things and, and also sort of, I don't know, quote-unquote, administration but yeah and what does your day look like now <laughs> um my day at the moment you know since going on maternity leave is um I guess like a different kind of of workload um just looking after this baby and 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 looking after life I suppose um waking up um you know every two to three hours in the middle of the night um and and um, yeah, just being on the other side of healthcare and on the other side of needles, actually, um, all of the immunizations that I used to give to kids and the reassuring that I used to give to mothers now, I'm on the other side of that. So that's really funny. Um, and and lots of nappies, nappy changes and and yeah, just a whole new different world, I suppose. And not every day is the same, but sometimes every day seems to be the same. Yeah. I also love because I made it a point of having Sana in the background. I think it's important for people to know that, you know, as a mother, you're juggling a million things. You're saying yes to interviews with 3CR and you're also looking after the bub. Um, she's currently glued to you at the moment and I think listeners can hear her. Um, so you go back to work when? I go back to work in January 2024, so that will have given me pretty much like a, almost like a, a, a complete year um, of maternity leave. Um, 
24, the organization is quite generous or different organizations are different, but 24 weeks of uh, half pay with my current organization. And that was after I used up all of my annual leave. And then of course, just the, um, I've just, it was difficult to do, but I've just qualified with, you know, Centrelink um, to get, you know, the um, uh, parental leave paid through my organization. Uh, and then I think there'll just be a few weeks where I'm, I'm unpaid, but, you know, um, a full year. And what concerns do you have about returning to work? Concerns around childcare, I suppose. Um, availability of spots was a big thing. And so some people made me feel a little bit anxious because they were like, oh, you should have found a place when she was still in the womb. And so I think when, uh, like a week after she was born, we went to all of these childcare places. Like some of them were really filled up, had waiting lists for like two years, but we found one that we're, we're happy with, you know, just trying to navigate all of that. Um, and of course, I'm not really going to go back because I was on four days a week, um, but I'm only going to go back two days. But that was something that my manager suggested, which I appreciated because I think it's got to be a slow transition for mother and bub to to get back into it. Um, but of course, the affordability of it as well. Um, at the moment, the spot, the place where we have found, I really haven't really crunched the numbers, but I know that childcare affordability is a big thing. So I don't really know how much it costs at the moment, but I know that it's going to be most of my two days a week wages. And so balance of like, you know, going up more days or less days and the cost benefit of all of that from a monetary perspective. Um, but that being said, I also do understand that childcare educators, um, early childhood educators aren't paid that much. So the whole sector is sort of suffering and under-resourced in itself. So all of those things, just thinking about my place in there, but also making sure that people in there are, are compensated because, you know, childcare doesn't just help me return to work, but it also helps her sort of like develop, the baby develop. And we do know that um, the learning that people have like within their within their formative years actually um, has a lot predicts like a lot about their outcomes later on so early childhood education is important and the quality of that is important and you do want to pay for that but at the same time it's like you know the money and the support systems to sort of facilitate that um, where do they come from so it's like a, a huge sort of balance yo tyrone here you're listening to 3cr community radio so for folks who don't know you, you are, you are South African, you're, so you're black, um, you're a mother. I'd love for you to discuss how these intersecting identities play out in work in terms of, you know, how you're treated, um, the kind of work that you do and just the interactions that you have. I think that I'm really lucky to be working um, in an Aboriginal community controlled organization um, because that is a black organization. Um, and even though I come from a settler background, um, my experiences as, as a black woman and specifically as a black healthcare worker are quite different and than I would experience if I was like in a mainstream, um, more predominantly white organization. Um, and this area that I live in, Wadawurrung country in Geelong, it is very, um, it's a very white um, sort of place. You know, I remember when um, 
Sana was first born, so she's she's biracial. But when you look at her, she looks like a white child. Um, but I remember when we were leaving the hospital, there was a, an admin worker who stopped me. And she was like, have you been checked out properly? Has someone checked your wristbands? And my partner was two feet ahead of me, like, you know, a white guy. And I had the baby in my arms. And I was like, yep, yep. And she just interrogated me until she was like, oh, what bed number were you in? And I was like, I was in 13B. And she was like, oh, okay. And that's when she sort of let me go. And that was like my first experience of just like the racial microaggression of like, is this child yours? And that questioning. And I found a lot more of that more within just white spaces or people being like, oh, you know, she, she's not the caramel child that we hope for or that sort of thing. Yeah, lots of comments like that. But everyone at work, like community is just so happy for me. Like it's a different feeling and like that, you know, people sent flowers from the organization. Everyone's like, when are you going to bring your baby in? And honestly, I think like no one would bat an eyelid if I just brought my baby to work one day, like someone, an auntie or an uncle would want to hold the baby. And that's the kind of atmosphere that working for a black organization and a community controlled organization is like. And I know that if one day, if childcare maybe fell through or something happened, um, there's a lot of kinship care that happens within that organization. And, you know, I'd only worked there for a bit over a year when I got pregnant and had my baby. I know a lot of other nurses and specifically a white colleague who was given a very bad time in terms of like her contract and whether she could come back to work. Her manager even said something very derogatory, a male manager that, you know, sort of said to her, he cut her hours and sort of said to her, maybe you should have thought about keeping your legs closed. Not in the same organization. Not in the same organization, a different organization, a private hospital, mind you. Um, and this was a white woman who said this to me and she's been having a very difficult time in terms of like, um, um, you know, getting like parental leave and all of this stuff because of the way that her contract was set up. But I can honestly say um, that it's family first in the organization that I work for because it is black, it is community controlled. Um, and I think that a lot of the things um, that Aboriginal um, and Torres Strait Islander people have experienced in terms of... Um, the separation of families and that sort of thing. Um, they don't want that to happen to, to staff, whether staff are, are, are settlers um, or whether staff are, are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. And I think that I'm in a very privileged position to benefit from that and for no one to look at me and sort of say, you've kind of cost us or something like that um, by going off and having a child. It's nothing like that at all. Uh, it's more like, when are you coming back? When are we going to see our niece? And this is how every Everyone is already talking about her, you know, come and let them see uncle such and such or auntie such and such. And these are all sort of like um, professional people that are working there, but it, it's got that family element as well. And that is such an important thing um, because a lot of the time when we talk about um, the workplace and like maybe um, caring roles, you know, it's delineated more into like this labor workforce. When are you going back to work? When are you going to go back and make money and that sort of thing? But um, there's more of like a melt where it's an understanding as well that um, being a parent is also, you know, contributing to, to community, to community life and that sort of thing. And you can't really undo, you know, it, it doesn't really make sense to sort of say there's a labor workforce and then there's like the parenting workforce and sort of keeping those things separated. It's all mixed into one. So I think that I'm very lucky in terms of 
being a mother, being um, a nursing professional, but also having that backing of um, of a black community controlled health health organization, because. Um, other health organizations where they're supposed to be caring for people in in workforces it's you know it's never really like that and nursing just like early childhood education is is a sector where um it's more women led where it's like a lot of women who are doing a, a you know majority and, and brunt of the work workforces like nursing um, which are like in uh, the area of caring is similar to um, early childhood education in that it's mostly women who are bearing doing a lot of that caring work. Um, and so it's really refreshing to have an organization that backs you when you become a mother and that recognizes um, that that mothering is another you know area of work. So they're really like supporting that area of your life. Three Today I'm chatting with Hope Muthumbu, a community nurse and a former 3CR stalwart, about the day in the life of a community nurse, juggling caring duties and what a supportive work environment could look like. We start this next portion of the interview with Hope sharing her thoughts on the four-day workweek campaign. But before we do, a little background on the campaign to reduce our current work hours. In the last few years, there's been a call to embrace a four-day workweek. So instead of working five days a week, people would work four days and receive the same pay and benefits. A few countries have started experimenting with four-day work weeks, and preliminary reports are calling the trials a success. When I first heard of the campaign, I thought it was great because less work means more time to spend with loved ones and even start a hobby. Then I asked Hope her thoughts and was surprised to learn that it's not as clear-cut as I imagined. So, what does Hope think about a four-day work week? I mean, it's good for office workers and people who are already on a five-day working week, but I think that, like, with some sectors, specifically, like, maybe aged care or maybe nursing, more, more nursing in hospitals where it's sort of like shift work, um, where it's an industry, you know, like more of like a 24-hour industry or an industry that kind of needs those sort of like outside of nine to five working hours. Um, it's interesting. And those kinds of people are going to need different kinds of benefits or incentives in their work areas. Do you know what I mean? But that being said, my work is five days a week. It is nine to five, my community nursing job. But that means community lose out on maybe having health care on weekends and after hours. And so then again, I think it needs to be a different kind of discussion when we think about those caring roles um, within healthcare, um, aged care, and definitely within early childhood education when we think about people who and services that run outside of those nine to five, five day a week hours. I think that a lot more people are doing extra and unpaid work. And so really having this conversation about a four day working week, I don't know, implies that people have ever had the benefit of five-day working week, whereas they haven't, you know. Lots of, like, frontline workers and workers maybe even in hospitality and that sort of thing, the conversations that they need 
are quite different to this four-day working week thing. But, uh, you know, again, it's nice. You know, it's good for those kinds of people. You know, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be having these these conversations and, and they can be had, but I think that we really need to look at people in gig economies that are outside of this, like, five-day working week model, you know? Yeah, and not everyone has the luxury to work from home. That's so awesome because when I first heard it, I thought, yeah, amazing. But I hadn't considered like shift workers. I hadn't considered, you know, people in the gig economy, as you mentioned. So that's interesting. Okay. Finally, Hope, do you think it's possible, not even possible, but what do you make of the idea that there's such a thing as like a work-life balance? It's the age-old question. Do you live to work? Do you work to live? I think that capitalism as well plays an important part of this of this conversation. I mean, for instance, I've had lots of different jobs. Like I've worked as a cleaner, I've worked as a carer, I've worked um, as a policy officer, so more in like that five-day working week, you know, in an office, you know, drinking my lattes and stuff. But I've never been more fulfilled now in the job that I'm currently on maternity leave from. But it's also like not the highest paying job that I've ever had. Um, But because of the partnership that I'm in, I've got the luxury of not having to like really think about that. But a lot of the times, if you think about what it would be like if I was a single parent, for instance, and and that sort of thing, a work-life balance would be much more harder to achieve. And because, as I said before, my organization is more community-based where that is life as well. Do you know what I mean? They do different things outside of me just feeling like, oh, I'm going to work. Like we do a lot of advocacy. We do a lot of um, barbecues for community where I see people that are, you know, brothers, sisters, auntie, uncles. Um, so sometimes you do get a bit of that downtime and you don't feel like you're being used through an organization. So the idea of work-life balance is quite complicated because it also hinges on money and monetary value. And so it's quite, it's very difficult. And there's some people who are maybe unemployed, but do so much work in the community. They do so much work either through volunteering or, or through other things that you can't even quantify that. But government services like Centrelink still come after them. You know, when we talk about, um, you know, as we're talking now, it was in 2013 that Julia Gillard introduced or like lowered the, the single parent payment and it put a lot of people more onto job seeker and it made them ineligible to receive money as single parent. And that's really dehumanizing and demeaning. Um, And I think the way that we sort of label people through their value to capitalism and through their value towards our economy, like providing a number on it, that really ruins things around or ideas around work-life balance um, because work can be different things and even though I'm on maternity leave now I'm working all of the bloody time we just started reusable nappies which I'm so proud of and that was important to me we're doing that for the environment but that means a lot more work a lot more washing which is my least favorite chore by the way every second day I'm washing I'm folding I'm doing this and I'm doing that um and if you've got like a socially conscious mind, which I, I want to do, like I'm not saying that everybody needs to go on reusable nappies, but I know that that 
um, my choice to do that is my gift to to the world and to humanity. It's something that I have the space to do and to choose. So that again is work life balance. Yes, I'm doing more work, um, but it's a good like it feels good on my conscience and it feels good on my soul. But there's some people who don't have the time to do that. They don't have the work life balance to even fathom doing that. So it's much cheaper going to Aldi, buying a pack of disposable nappies, and getting on with the day because maybe I've got a Centrelink job appointment. My baby's crying. My baby needs this. I've got less money than I used to have um, to spend on this and to spend on that. So all of these things are interconnected. And I think that when we can help people to make better decisions and to not always quantify it as into money and being like, what are you doing with your activities? What are you doing with your day? We might be in a better place for people to realize better work-life balance, whatever that looks like for them. That was Hope Mthumbu challenging us to reconsider what a work-life balance could look like. Hope is a former 3CR broadcaster for Women on the Line and has produced thought-provoking episodes that can be found by typing Hope Muthumbu, Muthumbu spell M-A-T-H-U-M-B-U and the word 3CR. That's it from me. Join me next week for more stories by and about diaspora communities. We're on Instagram at diasporablues3cr. Listen back to this episode at 3cr.org.au forward slash diaspora blues. If you're listening to this episode live, stick around because after me is Paul Factor with Urban Voices. I'm Ian Shurwa and I'll see you again next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.